you this morning to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're at the last chapter of the small epistle that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. And if you joined us the last several months, you learned that Paul spent three Sabbaths with this church. And as he spent three Sabbaths with this church, he then now is writing to them to continue to encourage them in their faith. This is a church of new believers. This is a church of now people of faith now that have uh, just come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But they need to be edified. They need to be instructed. They need to grow. They need to be encouraged. And he writes this epistle to encourage them. That's the purpose of this epistle, to encourage the believers to continue to live holy lives in an ungodly world. Today for us, we should be encouraged. The way that you see the world taking place and what are ha- what's happening around our world. You turn on the news and you see we definitely are living in the last days. Well, an epistle like this should encourage us to, that we should live our lives in godliness. We should live our lives in holiness. And in the last chapter, he mentioned to the church that we are not living in ignorance. We're living in expectancy. What does that mean? That our lives should reflect that. We are not ignorant. We know that Jesus will rapture his church at any moment. And because we believe that, we should live in a way that reflects that. That we believe that Jesus will rapture his church. Now he's answering the question there in chapter 4, the previous chapter, as to what happens after you die, if you died before the rapture of the church. And the answer to that is that we will be resurrected. Those that died in Christ will be resurrected at the rapture. But the second question here, he moves from the rapture to the day of judgment. So I want you to write that in your notes, the day of judgment, or the title of the message, the day of the Lord. That way you're not confused between the rapture and the day of the Lord, because the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. It's a day where now, or the time period, where God will judge the earth with his wrath that has rejected him, during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. It's called the Great Tribulation. And what here Paul is doing is he's putting the church on notice so they live with expectancy. Just imagine right now someone goes to your home and tells you something urgent, an emergency is about to happen. We are putting you on notice. You will change everything about your life because you have been just told there is an emergency, there's an urgency taking place. We have just put, been put on notice. So then you'll begin to live a life with awareness, with readiness, with an alertness. And that's exactly what he wants to draw from the Christians here, that they would be alert, that they would be ready, that they would have awareness of the coming of Jesus Christ. And he begins there in chapter 5, verse 1, talking about the Christian's belief. What is our belief regarding who we are, and regarding where we stand on this day of judgment. Are we a part of this day of judgment? I want you to know this. No, we're not. If you've been now born again and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you do not have to fear the day of judgment. We will be raptured before the great tribulation. Now, how many of us can praise the Lord for that? That we're not going to be here for that. So many people asked me, even last week, do you believe that we'll be raptured 
before the tribulation, the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation? Well, you can just look at Scripture and find out that God did not appoint his church to wrath. God appointed us to salvation. God appointed us to deliverance. It gives us confidence. It gives us comfort. It gives us encouragement so that we are ready, that we are not sleeping, that we're awake during these times, during these days. But I want to invite you that you would stand together with me as we read today God's word, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 11. Now read the odd verses, you read the even verses out loud together. God's word would read this way, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that today we would wake up to the reality of salvation or judgment. Lord, that today, Lord, we can receive salvation from this day. And Lord, we thank you because you've already provided a way for that. And that's through your son, Jesus. Lord, give us a heart, a burden for those that are lost, that need you. Those that are on their way to condemnation. We ask, God, that today you would soften our hearts. Today we would make a decision to get right with you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. You may be seated. He begins this section here by speaking of the Christian's belief. He's going to speak on the Christian's belief from verses 1 through 5, and then the Christian's behavior from verses 6 through 8. The Christian's belief, and then the Christian's behavior. And our belief begins with our knowledge. In fact, he gives a contrast between the believer who has knowledge and the unbeliever who lives in ignorance. Now, he's already said, you are not living in ignorance. You have knowledge. You know about these things. You're well aware of this. You should live in light of what you know. Notice, what you know makes you accountable regarding how you live your life. You can't just say, I didn't know, because God has instructed you with the truth. And he says here, he gives a distinction in regards to what to do with your knowledge. Notice he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. There he uses that conjunction, the word but. What does that mean? He's no longer speaking on the same subject. 
Now, he's still speaking regarding eschatology, end times. He's still writing regarding prophetic events. But he's not speaking regarding the same events. In fact, he's changed the topic now, but it's still in the general subject of prophecy. And what is he speaking of? The day of judgment. And he says, but concerning two things, the times and the seasons. He says, I know you're interested in knowing what time this is all going to happen. I know you're interested in knowing what season, when this will take place. In fact, the disciples always ask Jesus, Jesus, tell us, when will these things take place? We're always curious. We want to know the time. We want to know uh, when it will happen. We want to put it on a schedule. In fact, we want to stay in control. How many times have you been maybe on a road trip or on your way somewhere and your children say, are we there yet? You'll say, no. Then 30 seconds later, are we there yet? And you'll still say, no, we're not. I'll let you know when. <laughs> but notice, we're on our way there. And today you would know that as a Christian, we are on our way to meet Jesus. And if we are on our way to meet Jesus, you know what that means? The day of judgment is also coming. So he uses two words, times and seasons. The word times is that Greek word chronos, where we receive the word chronology. You remember the times or the chronology or the duration. And then the word seasons is the word kairos, which speaks of characteristics. So he says, you have no need that I should tell you regarding the chronology or regarding the characteristics of the day of judgment. You know what this time will look like. You know how to discern the times. In fact, what he's saying there in verse 1 is you already know everything you need to know about the day of judgment. You already know, church, right now, Calvary Downey, everything you need to know about the day of judgment. In fact, he told the religious scribes and Pharisees the same thing. He said, you religious scribes and Pharisees, in Matthew 16, 3, Jesus would say it this way, hypocrites, you're asking for signs. You can look up to the sky and discern when it's going to rain. You can discern the weather and tell what time it's going to be due to the seasons and times of climate. But you don't know how to discern and the times and the seasons that we're living in right now, in fact, he says, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Today, we must discern the signs of the times. You must know what times we're living in as a Christian. And you know how you're going to know that? You know how you're going to be confident living in the last days? How you won't be afraid living in the last days? Because you open up your Bible and you read it. <laughs> and you're not afraid. The media can't scare you because you know how the story ends. We end in glory with Jesus Christ. That's how it ends. So he says this, study the scriptures. Understand the times. Understand the seasons so that, notice here, you can live in light of what you know. Did you get that today? So that you can live in light of what you know. You can respond to what you already know. That you know about his coming judgment. That you can live in light that you know his judgment is coming upon this earth. In fact, he's saying so that you can be spiritually prepared. This is exactly what he's telling them. Be spiritually prepared. In fact, verse 2, let's continue reading. For you, I want you to circle the word you there. Because he's going to give a contrast between you and others. You and them. 
You is a Christian. You is the believer. You is the person that's saved. He said, you, the saved, yourselves know perfectly. You know this already. You've been taught this already. This is not new to you that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now notice the word there, the day of the Lord, that phrase. It's important that we know what that day is. First, I want to tell you what it's not. It's not a 24-hour period. (laughs) That is not the day of the Lord. In fact, man has his own time and God has his own day. And this is the Lord's day. And you know, the Lord's day speaks of the vindication or the judgment of God's wrath upon a God-rejecting world. That is the day of the Lord, the judgment of God upon the earth that begins in the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, which is known as the Great Tribulation. And it's followed the day of the Lord by the second coming of Christ, his thousand-year reign as he returns in glory. That is the day of the Lord. It begins with vengeance, and it ends with glory. Notice that. It begins with vengeance, judgment, that intensifies in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period known as the Great Tribulation, and it ends with him ruling and reigning, making all things new. That is the day of the Lord. But how does the day of the Lord come? What are the characteristics? What are the kairos of the day of the Lord? What are are the chronos of the day of the Lord? Well, number one, you can see here, it comes as a thief in the night. The judgment will come as a thief in the night. You can notice that. You can note that in your notes today. The judgment of God comes as a thief in the night. This is an analogy that Paul uses to give the church a description as to how God's judgment will come upon this earth. It will come when people least expect it. Like a thief in the night. Just think about that analogy. When a thief is going to come into a house to rob the house, if he'll come into your house to rob your he's not going to tell you, you know what, I'm really thinking of robbing your house. Would you leave the back door open? I just want to make sure I can get in safely, and then I'm just going to take a few things, and I'll be on my way. <laughs> no, he comes in when you least expect it. So he's saying God's judgment will come upon this earth. So be ready because it's not going to come with an announcement of the arrival. This is the only information that you need to know. God's judgment is coming when people least expect it. In fact, we have to be prepared for this day. We have to be prepared not only for the rapture ourselves, but it would speak Jesus through the gospels of the Jewish people being ready for the judgment and the Messiah that would be revealed at the second coming. In fact, I want you to put there a marker in your Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and turn with me to the gospel of Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. And here in this chapter, if you really take your time reading it, it it speaks of the coming judgment. It speaks of eschatology, prophecy. It speaks here, giving us a description that no one will know the day or the hour that that judgment will come, the final vindication on this earth where the wrath of God is poured out after the church has been taken away. Notice Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day, what day? The day of judgment. 
an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days before the flood, notice, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Notice, how, how were people living during that time? They were living a life that is careless. They were saying, we don't believe Noah that there's going to be a flood. We haven't ever seen rain before. <laughs> how could there possibly be a flood? He said, people are going to be marrying and drinking and giving to marriage. They're going to be now occupied with the cares of this life. They're going to be comfortable. But, but notice as it continues here, it says, and they did not know until flood came, verse 39 of Matthew 24, and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice, the coming of the Son of Man be. Speaking of the coming of Christ, the second coming. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other one left. Two one will be grinded, one on the mill, one will be taken, the other one left. Watch therefore, for you do not know, notice, what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what either the thief would have come, he would have watched, not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore you also, what does it say there? Be ready. Can you say it out loud with me? Also you, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. Now why does Jesus speak this to the Jewish people? So that they would have an anticipation. That they know God's second coming will be coming at a time that they don't expect, the coming of Christ. That they would take heed to this warning. That they would not only hear it, but then apply it in also their lives. In Luke 21, 34, I want you to read this, maybe note this as a verse that's important regarding the day of the Lord and readiness. Luke 21, 34, it would say, but take heed to yourselves. Pay attention. Be awake. Be alert. Notice lest your hearts be weighted down. What does that mean? Lest your hearts be distracted with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Make sure you wake up. Make sure that you know what time it is, that you're not caught up with the cares of this life, that, and, and, and so that judgment doesn't come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare, notice what the Bible says, on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. You see here that the attitude, the warning, don't become comfortable. No, God's judgment is coming upon those that rejected him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, the angel of the Lord also says this to the churches. Remember, therefore, that you what you've received and heard, and hold fast and repent. What does that mean? Remember what you heard. Remember what you heard in regards to the truth of God's word. Hold on to that and repent. What does that mean? Turn to God now. Turn to Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you don't watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You see here that it all speaks of an attitude of readiness, an attitude of anticipation, an attitude of awareness. You see, if you don't have awareness in regards to the times that you're living in, you're probably going to be lost. 
You're not going to know what to do. And that day of judgment will come upon you unexpectedly. He says, do not let that time come upon you that way, he's telling the people. Be ready. Be right with God. That's important that we know that. In fact, more characteristics regarding the day of judgment, a time of tribulation that's never been seen before. You can write this verse, Isaiah 13, verse 9. This is all regarding the day of judgment. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. It is certain it's going to come. And you know what the Bible describes it as? Cruel. With both wrath and fierce anger. To lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. From the stars of heaven and from the constellations, it will not give their light. The sun will be darkened, and it's going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt their arrogance of the proud, and I will lay low the audience of the terrible. What does God's words tell us regarding this day? As he will come to those that rejected him, those that were oddy, those that were proud, those that had a hard heart. And he says, I will bring them low. I will punish them. It's going to come as a day of wrath and cruelty now. Isaiah 2, 12 says this, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Do you see here that the day of the Lord's judgment is filled with the wrath and anger of God? This is all to do with the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And what is the emphasis that Paul is saying there in 1 Thessalonians 5? Why is he explaining this? Why is he giving reference to this? Because the believers were in the know. They were not ignorant. They knew. Well, the unbelievers were living in ignorance of God's plan. And today for you, I want you to know this. You are in the know of God's plan. This is amazing. You know what God's plan is of redemption. You know what God's plan is of restoration. And he's reminding them, I don't have to write to you this. I shouldn't have to remind you of God's judgment. You know how it's going to come. It's going to be cruel. It's going to be the wrath of God. It's going to be his anger poured upon this earth. You know about this already. You are in the know of God's plan. You are not ignorant. You know what will happen. So notice verse 3, the expectancy and surprise. This is how people will live during that time. For when they say, who's they? The unbelievers. You can write that next to the word of they. When they say what? Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Notice, not only is it going to be unexpectedly, but it says, people, the unbeliever, they will say on that day, peace and safety. Why will they say peace and safety during that time? Because they're going to be deceived. And they're going to have a false peace and safety and security in the world. Why? The Antichrist, during that time, will set up a seven-year peace treaty with the one world government, not only using religious powers, but also political powers, a one-world government. Notice, this is why you see already the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist pushing a globalist agenda. Because eventually that's what it's going to be. But for the first three and a half years, what the Antichrist will do is he'll usher in a global peace for three and a half years, a peace that people were looking for. People will think he's the answer. 
And they're saying, now we have peace. Now we have safety. They're going to be given over to the cares of this life. And after three and a half years is what Daniel speaks about, the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty between the Muslim people and the Jewish people, rebuild the temple of the Jewish people, and after three and a half years, go into the most holies of holies, declare himself to be the Messiah, and said, worship me. And then from that point forward, this is where the day of wrath, the day of judgment, quickly escalates. One trumpet after the other, one bold judgment after the other in Revelation. When he demands to be worshipped. And notice, this is exactly what he's talking about. There are going to be those that are saying peace and safety, and suddenly destruction is going to come upon them. They're going to be deceived. They're going to think, well, we have answers. We have peace. We have economy. And then from one moment to the other, they're going to find out that they were deceived. So many people today, they start to speculate, trying to find out, well, who is the Antichrist? Is he here yet? Is he in power? Is he in politics? Is he rising up into religion? Is he the Pope? <laughs> no. You see, understand this. We may not even know who he will be because we're going to be raptured up to be with Christ. In fact, we're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We're waiting for him. We're looking up. We're saying, Lord, come soon. Our redemption draws near. But here it speaks of a people that would have rejected the warnings, that would have rejected the repeated grace and patience of God. And notice what it says there in verse 3. It says, then. They say peace and safety. And then, after three and a half years, suddenly destruction comes. You see the chronology there? You see the kairos? You see the seasons there? What happens? Peace and safety. Then, after three and a half years, suddenly disaster, destruction, judgment will fall on them. And how will it happen? Suddenly. Now, what does that mean? It's going to happen very quickly. It's going to escalate judgment one after the other very quickly. In fact, the way that it describes it this way, that it, the escalation is going to be as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and that they shall not escape. Have you, have you ever been there when a woman goes into labor? It's quick. <laughs> and it can be very painful as it would seem, as it would look. One day and one moment, it's very calm. And the next moment, it's, you know what? Wake up, get up. We have to go right now. I'm not just saying that because my wife just had a baby either. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's the truth. He's saying that's how quick it's going to happen. When it happens, it will be certainly, but all this, notice, it's going to be suddenly. That's what we have to know the truth. The Bible says in the last days, even people that thought they knew the truth, even people that read the scripture, even those that came to church, they're going to be deceived. They're going to be fooled. They're going to be, think, well, this is the answer. This is the one. Peace and safety. But suddenly, what's going to happen? Destruction will happen. Suddenly, now destruction or judgment will come upon them just like labor pains increase and escalate very rapidly. Now, you know what's awesome? That nowhere in the Bible is there any purpose for the church to be present during the tribulation. Nowhere in Scripture from beginning to end is there any purpose for the church to be present during the tribulation? That's why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You can note that. You can remember that. We believe in a pre 
tribulation rapture. But God will use the judgment of the great tribulation for two reasons. Number one, to punish sinners on the earth that rejected him. He'll use it for that, for judgment and for punishment, for wrath. The second reason he'll use it is for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to come to know the Messiah as Lord and Savior. During that time, many Jewish people will come to know Jesus as the Messiah. Right now, their eyes are blinded. They don't know. They can't recognize him to be the Messiah. But during that time, God will even use the persecution of that now false prophet that they believed in, of the political power of the Antichrist that they trusted in. And then they were deceived and let down. Their eyes will be opened, and they will know that they were fooled. And they'll know that the real Messiah is Jesus Christ, whom they have rejected for many years. And many Jewish people during this time, they will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But notice what it says. This is what's going to happen to them. But notice verse 4. This is the comfort. That's what's going to happen to those in judgment, in destruction. Those that are lost. But verse here, as it continues here, verse 4. But you, brethren, notice the comfort. You are not in darkness. This is amazing here. That's going to happen to them, but you're not in darkness. So that this day, or judgment, should overtake you as a thief. We're not people of darkness. You know who we are? We're the people of the light. We were in darkness before, but now we're in light. It says, but you believers, what are you? You're not in darkness. You're not people of darkness. What does darkness represent? Immoral sin. Spiritual darkness. Why? Because people of darkness, they don't know the truth and they love wickedness. You're not that group of people. You're not the group of people that does not know the truth and that loves wickedness. So that this day overtakes you as a thief. This day will overtake those as a thief to those that live in darkness. They will be surprised because they won't be expecting that. Only people of darkness will be surprised. You know what's amazing? That he's reminding us in regards to what our nature is. You see, there's a different contrast between the believer and unbeliever. A contrast in nature, a contrast in behavior, and a contrast in destiny. I want you to write those three things down today, this morning. There's a contrast in nature, in behavior, and in destiny. The first contrast is found here in verse 4 and 5. In nature... We are not in darkness. In Ephesians 5, 8, what does it tell us? You once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Isn't that amazing that we're called children of light? Jesus is the light of the world. And if we are his children, notice what we are. We're children of light now. He's called us out of darkness. What has he called us into? Marvelous light. And our new nature is the nature of children of light. You know, we have to recognize that so that we don't continue to live an old lifestyle or a life of darkness. So many times God calls us out of the darkness into the light. And we say, well, yeah, I know the Lord's called me out of the darkness into the light. But I still like to stand a little bit in the shade. I told you what that means. I mean, you know, you, stand, you live in the shade. What are you going to become? Shady. You don't want this day to overtake you that way. You have a different nature. And notice verse 5 again, reminding 
you who you are. You don't have to be afraid of this day. You're not going to be caught unexpectedly because you know who you are and where you stand. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. You see, John 8, 12, Jesus said, he spoke to them, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's your identity. Today, so many people are confused with their identity. You know what your identity is? Your identity is child of God. Your identity is child of the light. Not in darkness. We're not confused about that. We're not afraid of judgment because we live in the light. And judgment, darkness, is not going to come upon us because we live as children of light. We don't belong. Notice the end of verse 5. We are not of the night, but we don't belong in the night, nor to the darkness. You know why he says that? We don't belong to the night or darkness? Because darkness also means judgment. Notice if darkness means judgment and we don't belong to the dark, that means that we do not belong to judgment. That means we're not a part of that. We're not a part of this day. In Amos chapter 5, verse 18, it would say this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Woe to you that are so proud that says, Well, you know what? I'll get right with God later. You don't know when that's going to be. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. That's why you better get ready now. If today you're saying, you know what, I can get ready with the Lord. I, I am going to get ready with the Lord. I just, just let the weekend pass. I'll get ready with the Lord on Monday. No, you don't know how many days you have left. He can come right now. And he says here, the fact that Christ can come at any moment, the fact that God is going to judge this world should motivate the unbeliever to accept his forgiveness and to repent, but it should also motivate believers to live their lives daily for him. That we would be spiritual, that we would not be carnal. Notice, your nature is different. The nature of the unbeliever is darkness. The nature of the believer is light. There is a difference between day people and night people. Now notice, that is all to do with your belief. Notice your behavior. There's a difference between your nature and then also your behavior from the unbeliever. Notice verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep. What, what should we not do because we're of the day? Don't sleep. Your behavior, notice here, don't become comfortable. Don't be a sleepwalking Christian. Have you ever met someone that walks or talks in their sleep? You just want to tell them, just be quiet already, right? He says, don't sleep as others. Because you know all of this, notice, this is why he says, therefore, let us, who's us, Christians, not sleep as others. Who's the others? The unbelievers. What does sleep mean? It's a spiritual indifference. That's what sleep is. It's a compromise. It's a complacency. Sleep, speak, uh, hear sleep. What it speaks about is so much of that which belongs to the world. Sleep speaks of everything that belongs to the others that he mentioned here, the world. It speaks of ignorance. They don't know better. 
Sleep speaks of insensitivity. It speaks of no defense. It speaks of inactivity, that you are not have any senses to the reality of the truth of where you're living in. It says, don't be sleeping spiritually as others do, but notice here, let us watch and be sober. What is the exhortation for the church right now to be? Don't be comfortable. Don't be sleeping. Don't be those that are now complacent, coasting your spiritual walk. It's so easy right now, especially in the times that we're living in the country that we enjoy of, to come into church, listen to a message, leave, and leave the same way that you came in. He says, don't be sleeping spiritually. In fact, this is the way that we should be living our lives here in this verse 6 that it tells us. How? Let us watch and be sober. What is the first attitude that we should have as Christians that are not sleeping? The first ones is Christians that are watching. Watching. What does that mean? To be on guard. To be at your post. To be watching. To be alert. With an attitude of readiness. When a soldier is at their post, what are they? They're alert. They're ready. They're watching. They're waiting. Notice, they have awareness. They understand how the day that they're living in. Our spiritual condition should never be marked by sleep. It should be marked by someone who is awake. Notice that, awake, so that they're not caught off guard, that they're spiritually active, that they're spiritually aware, that they're under the control of truth. You see, when you have this truth here, you know what you do? You watch. If you've been reading your Bible, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be watching. You're going to be aware. You're going to be awake. You're going to say, I need to discern the times, the days that I'm living is because I know the truth. I'm not going to play church. I'm not going to try to lie and, and fool other people or myself or try to, you know, live this double life and fool God. No, I'm going to be watching, awake, alert, discerning, with all senses alert now because of the coming of Christ. And I'm also going to be sober. Two things. Watch. And what's the next one? Be sober. Christian sobriety. That means to be clean-headed. That means to exercise self-control. A person that's intoxicated, they're not exercising self-control. They're influenced by something else. So you Christian right now, be alert, be watching, be sensible, have awareness, and do not be intoxicated, notice, by the things of the world. You know it's possible to be drunk off the things of the world? You can be drunk off of entertainment, drunk off of pleasure, drunk off of the worldly offers that it provides to you. He says, don't be intoxicated. Be sober, be self-controlled. Live a life that demonstrates that you're watching and alert. Isn't this what Peter tells the church in 1 Peter 5a? Be sober. Have self-control. Have a clear mind. Be vigilant. Be awake. Don't go to sleep here because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What's the purpose of this warning there in 1 Thessalonians? It's to prepare us with the motivation to live for Jesus every single day. How? By watching and by being sober. Ask yourself today, right now, am I being too distracted? Are you being too influenced by an outside substance that is drawing your attention away from keeping your eyes on Jesus? That is drawing your attention away from keeping your eyes on what time it is? Are you easily pulled away by a career, 
by an ambition, by your own goals, by pleasures, that you forget to watch and be sober? The enemy's going to try to offer so many things so that you can intoxicate yourself and become drunk off the things of the world. And he says, be sober from all of those things. You are not a person that is called to the night life anymore. <laughs> Notice verse 7. He describes that type of life. For those who sleep, when do they sleep at night? Those who dr get drunk, they get drunk at night. <laughs> You're no longer a part of the night. You're no longer a part of darkness. Only those that are a part of darkness, only those that belong to darkness, notice, are the ones that are sleeping. Only those that belong to darkness are the ones that are getting drunk off the things of the world. And you know what that darkness leads to? Judgment. You're not a part of that anymore. So stop getting drunk off the things of the world. So stay sober, stay alert, stay self-controlled, be watchful in all things. You see, first he says that you're not of darkness. Why? To explain to you, you are different. So you should live in a completely different way. Do you see why he says that? You are different. So you should live in a completely different way. Don't compromise. You can't say, you know what, today I'm good with the Lord, and then tomorrow, I just, I, I want to compromise a little bit. I want to go and do what the people of the night do and start to fall in love with the things of the world, get distracted with the cares of this life. No. Revelation 3.16, we've heard it be said of it so many times that the angel of the Lord says this, so then, because you are lukewarm, notice, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is God's word. It says, you're either going to be cold or you're going to be hot, but if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you haven't decided who you are. You see, here, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, should be a motivator for the Christian to live a holy life. In fact, verse 8, let's continue reading. But let us, again, who? Us, the Christian, who are of the day. What do the people of the night do? They're drunk, they're sleeping. They're not awake to the spiritual truths or reality of the day. But let us, the believers who are of the day, be sober, notice, not easily influenced, clear-headed, notice, be sober, don't become distracted, and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. No, he describes here three essentials for Christian salvation and growth. What are they there in verse 8? Notice, faith, love, and hope. So many times we miss them every time they come up in Scripture. Paul used them many times. We, we, we're always used to hear faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But there he brings them up again. He mentioned them in verse chapter 1. And there again he mentioned them again. How is it that you are to be alert? Three ways. In your faith and trust with God, in your love with other people, and in your hope, your assurance, that you will be saved. Do you see here? Now it describes in verse 8, and it gives us an illustration of who? A soldier who's alert. A soldier who is awake. A soldier who is sober. He says, be like a soldier who's equipped. In fact, a soldier, what does he do? He's able to be alert and ready because he has the right type of armor. 
And he says this, be ready like a soldier who puts on his breastplate. Why does a soldier put on a breastplate? To cover the vital organs, to protect the heart. You know what you need to protect today so that you do not become intoxicated by the things of this world? Protect your heart. Because that's what the enemy comes so that you get so intoxicated by the things of this life. He'll go straight to your heart. And then he says, also put the helmet of salvation. Protect your mind so that you're awake. Two things to stay sober and awake, the heart and the mind. Now, this is amazing here because this is a tool that equips us for battle against temptation. No soldier, think about it, would ever go out to battle without his equipment. And you as a Christian should not live the last days in expectancy for the return of Christ without these equipment or this type of armor that we are called to use. Now, notice, what is the breastplate called? Faith and love. Faith toward God. Trusting in him. Love toward God's people. We are protected by faith and by love during spiritual battles. In fact, Ephesians 6.10, what does it tell us? It exhorts us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But what's also important to wear in order for you to be awake and sober? The helmet. What does the helmet remind you? It protects your mind. It gives you the assurance that you're saved. That you have nothing to worry about. That you have nothing to be afraid about. And I want you to know this. The helmet is essential. You know why the enemy distracts so many people right now? Because they don't protect their mind. So notice what happens. The enemy comes and puts a distraction in the mind, and they no longer are sober. The, the enemy comes and tries to lure them to sleep as a Christian. Well, you don't really have to be awake to prayer. You don't have to be awake to the word of God. You don't really have to be awake to spiritual truths or realities. So just go to sleep as a Christian. And you know what? You're no longer a threat here on earth. And that's what the enemy wants to do. So he says, put on the helmet so that you're not afraid, so that you're confident in the day that you're living in. That's what the helmet does. It gives us confidence. A confidence of what? Of your salvation. That in the past, you have been saved from guilt, from shame, from sin. Presently also, you've been saved from the penalty and the power and the pollution of sin right now. And in the future, guess what? You shall be saved from the very presence of sin when we meet with Christ in the air. All of these are tools and equipment that we must use. So he tells us here, Paul tells the Thessalonian church, you are different in your nature. You're of the day. They are of the night. So you are to understand that. You are not of judgment. Then your behavior, your behavior should be different, sober and alert, not sleeping and drunk. And then finally, you notice why he encourages them? Speaking about their destiny. Notice what the destiny of the Christian is. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to what? To wrath. Here's a promise for us. Here's a reason for hope and confidence. God does not have an appointment for the Christian to judgment. We don't have an appointment to wrath. We are saved from wrath. Remember that. God didn't appoint us to condemnation. What did he appoint us to salvation? The appointment to wrath was changed or was rescheduled with an appointment to obtain salvation or deliverance when Jesus paid the, uh, now the sins 
of the price for our sins on the cross. Now we have a different appointment. What is our appointment now? Salvation, deliverance. This is why it says it there in verse 9. He did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain. The word obtain means to purchase salvation. But do we have to purchase it? No, it's already been purchased for us. It's already been paid for us. Who paid for it? Jesus Christ. By the blood of the Lamb, it's been paid. We have salvation now. He appointed us to what? To receive deliverance. We will not receive wrath. In fact, if you read Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 or 3, it speaks of the church age. Then the church is not mentioned from chapter 6 to chapters 19, which are the judgment chapters. Until after chapter 19, during the second coming of Christ, then the church is mentioned again. But it's not mentioned during that time of tribulation or of judgment because we're not appointed to wrath. This one verse teaches us that Christ is coming for his church before the wrath of God. Do you see how amazing this is for us, how much comfort it brings to the believer, to those that are in Christ Jesus? To the ones that are not in Christ Jesus, it should cause you right now to repent and turn your life to Jesus Christ right there where you are in your seats. But notice there in verse 10, as it would say, who died for us. How does he give us salvation? Because he died for us. He paid the price for our sins. That whether we wake or we sleep, we shall live together with him. How do we know we have this? Because he died for us. Now, this is amazing that it says for us. You know what that means that he died for us? It means that he took our place, that he's our substitute, that he took the penalty, the judgment, so that we wouldn't have to take the judgment, so that whether we sleep or we're awake, whether we die or whether we live, when he returns, we shall be with him forever. We shall have union with Christ. Christ died so that we could live forever with him. Think about the promise there in verse 10. Whether we wake or sleep, it doesn't matter, he's saying. Because he, Christ died for us, we shall live together with him. Now, notice verse 11. I want you to look at this verse. Therefore, comfort. What does that mean? Encourage. Strengthen. Each other. And edify. Edify means to build up. It's like you're building a building. Build that building up, one another, just as you also are doing. Build up, edify, just like you're doing, continue doing it. Now, what do we have to give us comfort? What do we have that builds us up? Why does he say this, edify and build up? Notice, because we have nothing to fear, because nothing can separate us from he who died to bring us to himself. This is what brings us comfort. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God anymore. We have salvation. He's given it to us. It's a free gift of salvation. And this is what he says. Encourage one another. Comfort one another. You are not appointed to wrath. Now, what is it that we learn here in the last verse? Number one, if you trusted in Jesus Christ, you will obtain salvation. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are appointed to obtain salvation through him if you've been born again. But if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you haven't made things right with God, then notice what your appointment is. 
The appointment is very clear. It's judgment. We all know that verse that we quote often, John 3, 16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It is that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Too often we stop reading there. But I'm going to read to you the following verses of John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Notice what it says. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Notice, but that the world through him might be saved. You know what Jesus does? He offers a way out of condemnation. In our sin, without Christ, we're headed towards condemnation and judgment. But Jesus offers a way of salvation. This is, but through him, the world might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What do you love more, light or darkness today? Here the contrast is very clear. There are some that are sleeping and are drunk of the things of the world. And there are others that are sober and are awake to the things of Jesus. But you can be both. Today, notice that you cannot be both. You cannot be sober and drunk at the same time. You cannot be asleep and awake at the same time. There is a difference. And the difference is people of the day and people of the night. Today, if you want to obtain the salvation that it speaks about there in Scripture, you have an opportunity to do so as well. That you would say, I, I do not want to experience the day of judgment. You notice you don't have to if you give your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray.